All right, so let's, let's get into this, all right? I, I got to be honest, and for, just for the record, today is just an introduction. There is no application. You'll walk out of here going, what should I do with this? The answer is nothing. Uh, there you are, right? Here's the application. Would you consider coming back? All right? So, some of you are going, I don't ever know what the application is. But there it is, all right? Would you consider coming back ne- next week? But so here, again, this is just set up, but I think that this is probably the most interesting, definitely the coolest title we've ever come up with for a series. And I'm pretty sure that no other pastor, I started saying Denver, but I'm pretty sure the world <laughs> is standing in front of his church this, week, this morning going, brothers and sisters, I'd like to teach you about what it means to grow a pair. All right? And, uh, <laughs> and it's not even just today. I'm going to spend like, you know, five, Scott and I here spend like six weeks on this. All right? We're really going to know how to grow a pair at the end of this. All right? Now, for those of you going, now, what does that mean? All right? So welcome to earth. Let me tell you what, what this means. This is a phrase. All right? Grow a pair. It's something that... That, that you say to a man, I'm going to look down a lot today, all right? right. There's something you say to a man who, who isn't acting in what you think is a manly way. So you say this partly as an insult, but more of an encouragement. Let me encourage you to start acting like a man. And, and logically, the reason you're not acting like a man is that you've lost contact with a couple things that God gave you. Explain that to your girlfriend now. And she'll go, oh, oh, all right, all right. And so this is how the theory goes, all right? Um, if, if, this, if said man could locate said lost items that they've misplaced, or if they can't be found, maybe if he could, I don't know, find a new set or grow a pair, maybe then he could man up and become the man that he was meant to be. That's the theory we're going to unpack for six weeks, all right? Um, now, there's several... <laughs> all right, all right. So uh, there's several reasons... I, that we want to do this series. And please listen to all of them before you get mad and walk out going, I know what he's going to teach about. You probably don't, all right? The, the first reason I want to do this series is because, and this is my opinion, but in my observation over the last several years and decades of my life, in our culture, can't say that the whole world, but definitely in this culture, that the idea or the definition of, of what is a man, and I'm not talking about human, I'm talking about male, all right, has really been watered down and maybe even neutered by this idea that we're all the same. We're all the same. And I think that, that what's driven kind of this castration of the American male, it started as, as a noble fight for equality. And equality is great. I'm all in favor of equality. But, but somewhere along the way, we've confused the word equal. We've confused that with we're all the same and we're not the same. We're all equal, but we're not all the same. And the, the truth is, for many, women, for many years, women have been unjustly treated as second-class human beings. Guilty, Right? But the answer is not to tear men down, it's to lift women up to where God wants them to be. And nowhere on the planet, at least in my my life, have men bought into the idea that they have to surrender their manhood, no place more than in this thing called the church. It's like somewhere along the way, someone started teaching and a lot of us started believing that when a man becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, when a man becomes a Christian, he's supposed to surrender his personality, his hopes and his dreams and his masculinity and become some kind of wimpy, starry-eyed, asexual, spineless, weak, passive wuss. (laughs) Kind of like a lot of us think about Jesus. See, a lot of us, when we we picture Jesus, it's that picture we've grown up with, this, this weak, quiet, passive victim of bullies and abuse, but that's how you live if you love God. It's not true. And usually it's unspoken, but the understood message, the perception to a lot of us men goes like this. If you want to follow Jesus, surrender your manhood, your spine, and your personality, and then maybe Jesus could use you. 
which if I was a man, and I am, (laughs) and that's what it means to follow Jesus, which it doesn't, but if it did, honestly, I wouldn't look twice at Jesus, let alone follow him. So that's one reason I want to do this series. The other reason that I want to spend five or six weeks on this, this idea of grow up here is for the exact opposite reason. It seems like there's a huge amount of men in our culture and in the churches, not just flat arms, it's talking about the church around the world, that think that simply because we were born male, that gives us the right to bully people or dominate people or, or demand things from people simply because we happen to be born male. I can do what I want to do because I'm the man. I can tell you what to do because I'm stronger than you or more powerful than you or richer than you because I have a bigger truck than you have. That must make me a man. And the reason I say that is that earlier this week, I was in this parking lot and the biggest pickup truck I've ever seen in my life, I've seen an F-150 and 250, I've seen a 350. I had an F-650 pull up beside me, all right? I didn't know they made this thing, could like tow a mountain. It was like huge yellow truck, this huge thing. We're like, oh, and then this little bitty guy jumped out of it. <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> it was like, compensating there, yeah, but... Uh, I hope you're not here today. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I can beat you up, but I, I don't want you. <laughs> right? But here's the thing is, all right? Um, in our world, we measure ma- masculinity by the wrong standard. In our world, man has measured many times, not by a man's character or the promises that he's kept, but by how many women he's had and conquered and dumped. A lot of times manhood is measured by a man's ability to fertilize a woman, not by his ability to raise or parent a child. As a matter of fact, half a generation is now being raised with the idea that fathers are nothing more than sperm donors who don't stick around. And the message is, don't expect any more from them or for yourself. And I'd like to say that's the world, but honestly, inside the church is no better. Men often misquote Jesus and say, well, men are supposed to be the boss of their homes. And women or girlfriends or children, they're, they're like the, the employees and they're supposed to jump when I say jump because here it is, it's in the Bible somewhere. And for the record, it's not in the Bible. They're actually changing what the Bible actually says. They're saying, using words like boss and master when the Bible uses words like head or, or leader and then immediately points to Jesus as, guys, that's the best example to look at. And nowhere do I ever find Jesus sitting in a recliner telling people to pick up his socks and get his dinner ready and keep kids out of his hair because he's the man. It's just not in there. And all that to say, guys, many of us are walking around with a really jacked up definition or version of what it means to be a man. And so honestly, many of us, and you say most of us, aren't doing it really well. And we either don't know how or we're scared to try anything different. But this is not going to be five weeks of man bashing. Ladies, I have to be honest with you. You're not really helping the matter. As a matter of fact, many times you're really making it worse. And here's what I mean by that. Many of you ladies have lowered your standards so low when it comes to men that you have settled for far less than God ever intended for you to have, which is why many of you will wake up one day, or you already have, and look over at the guy laying beside you, and in your mind you go, this is what I link myself up with the rest of my life? Everybody looks straight ahead. <laughs> Last night I saw people go. No, 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 no. I mean, seriously, I mean, you're going you're to sit there and go, what, what was I thinking? And here's what a lot of us were thinking, ladies, right? You're thinking this, this is all I deserve. This is as good as it gets. And this is all I can expect from a man. The other reason, ladies, you're not really helping the man problem is because many of you have settled for a far less definition and version of who you are and who God meant for you to be. 
You've been listening to the wrong people. You've let people, especially men, tell you who you are. But also culture, media, other women. The voices in your head from past mistakes and choices. The fear of being alone in the future has caused you to see yourself as far less and far cheaper and far weaker than you really are. As a matter of fact, we stole the name for this series. Not from a bunch of guys sitting in a room drinking beer, high five, and going, let's do a series called Grow Up Hair. That's not where we got the name. We actually stole it from a, a group of women sitting in a room brainstorming what to call last year's women's retreat. Because it's evident to women that something's missing in the lives of women. In other words, ladies, it might be time for you to grow your own pair. <laughs> so this series, we're going to use a lot of male examples, but it certainly applies to both sexes. And, and here's the application. Something is missing in our lives. We talk all the time in here about how with God in your life and Jesus in your heart, you can go on and become the man that you were meant to be and the woman that you've always wanted to be. But we're going to kind of turn the corner a little bit in this series. In this series, we're going to describe what that might look like in real life to be a godly man, to be a a godly woman. He or she does things like this. He or she treats other people and themselves like this. And it's all going to be based on the presence of or the absence of a couple things in your life. And we're not talking about testicles. We're talking about character. See, regardless of whatever plumbing fixtures God has assigned to you, the larger, more important issue that needs to be addressed is the presence or the absence of certain character, characteristics in our life, which, if paired together correctly, will far outweigh your hormone level, the size of your bank account, or the length of your list of this is what I've done and this is what I have, or this is what's been done to me. So like I said, this is just the introduction, but let me just say simply, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some people in the Bible and some people that are sitting in this room right now who either did or didn't measure up to who they were meant to be based on the presence of or the absence of a couple of characteristics in their life. And then we're going to apply it. We're going to ask ourselves this, male and female, do I have those characteristics in my life? And if I don't, the takeaway will be that I need to go find them or reclaim them or maybe grow a pair of characteristics. So let's get started. The, the first guy we're going to look at today, um, by the way, you don't need your Bible today. It's in your program, all right? If you don't like Bible study, you're going to love today, all right? Next week, we're going to do a lot of Bible study. But again, I, I want to look at one guy just briefly and then a lot next week. But he's one of the first guys I ever learned about when I was a little kid go, going to Sunday school. It's a story of, of a guy named Joseph. We're going to look at that, Joseph, today and, and next week, all right? And Joseph, I'm not talking about Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus and the shepherds. Different Joseph, all right? This is hundreds of years before Bethlehem, but... The story of Joseph goes like this, just in summary. It starts with the story of this teenage boy, all right? So they're not all, the Bible's not full of old guys with beards and staffs, all right? So this guy's about 17 years old. His dad loved him. Loved him probably more than all the other children, all right? And gave him these really fancy gifts. And the most famous one is this really fancy coat. It's very expensive. And the story goes on, this is how my Sunday school teacher, you know, told me, is that Joseph went through some really hard times in his life, but because he loved God, eventually he went on and saved his family from starving to death. And that's true. That's how it happens. The problem, though, is that the way the story was told to me in Sunday school was a really sanitized version that skipped over all the messy parts of Joseph's life. And it's the messy parts where the story really happens. Isn't that true of your life? Isn't it true that for the most part, the biggest moments of our lives that have really shaped us, changed us, for better or worse, were not the fun times? Those didn't change our lives. The easy things. Nobody's life was changed one Christmas when someone we loved gave us the best present ever. Now, the, t- the, the times that really changed our lives were the times, not when you got something, but when you lost something. 
When someone or something was taken from you, not given to you, when something was done to you, right? Not when life was easy, but when life was hard and messy. Not when life was fair, but when life was unfair and unclear and uncertain. Wouldn't you say those are the times that changed your life? Wouldn't you say that those are, from that point on, life was different? Again, isn't that why you lay in bed and think about it at night? You try to forget, but you can't? Let me put it another way. Isn't it the hard and messy times that try or have tried to tell us this is who you are? This is all you'll ever be. This is what you ought to do. So next week, we're going to look at the real story of a messy, a messy story of a guy named Joseph who, who didn't just have a bad day. Everybody has a bad day. He had a bad life. He had some bad decades and spent a big chunk of his life trying to figure out which voices in his head to listen to. Because the voices and the circumstances of his life are trying to tell him, Joseph, this is who you are and this is what you're worth and so this is what you ought to do. And we're going to look at an abused teenage kid get rejected by his family and whatever you think that means, it's, it's more than that. He's thrown in jail for a crime that he doesn't commit, spends 13 years in prison and then has a chance to take revenge on everybody that ruined his life but instead of paying them back, he looks them in the eye and says this. He says, you intended to harm me. We've rehearsed this speech if we ever have a chance, haven't we? Here's his speech. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. You know what my reaction to that is? He's a better man than I am. Because I'm not there yet, for the record. But if you've ever had anything happen to you in your past, maybe this past week, or maybe the past 50, 60 years, and it's one of those things that won't go away, it still haunts your thoughts. It influences how you treat people in your life, even the people that you love in your life. And you can't see yourself except through the lens of, this happened to me. But you want to see if it's possible, if God could use your life in the future, in spite of your past, here's the application. Would you come back next week? Think about it. Let me just kind of set up what Scott and I are going to hit over the next few weeks. Uh, We're going to look at, at a guy named Samson, not that muscular hero you heard about, but a guy that God gave some great opportunities to, and he, and he used them the wrong way. And here's kind of what we're going to learn from that is that God might allow you to be rich. He might allow you to be strong. He might allow you to have influence. He might allow you to be a dad. He might allow you to be a coach in charge, whatever that is. But if you don't use your strength and your brain the way God tells you to do it, you might do a few things well here and there, but one day you're going to look behind you and there's going to be nothing but bodies because you abused your strength and you abused a lot of people along the way. And that's some of our stories, isn't it? Either what we're doing to other people or has been done to us. We're going to go on with a whole bunch more stories. We're going to look at a guy named Boaz that most of you probably don't even know who that is. It's a great story, all right? A guy named David who had a chance. God gave him a chance and he blew it. So God gave him a second chance. He blew that one. So God gave him a third chance. He blew that one. And then he gave him a fourth. And it goes on until he dies. And then everything's good. All right? It's just that chain of events. And someone's going, that, that's me. Right? Right? We're going to look at a, a guy named Job whose life was so tragic that one, night, one day all of his friends had an intervention and sat him down on a couch and said, Job, listen, your life is so bad, you ought to just hate God. I mean, look at your life. Why don't you hate God? And Job says, I don't hate him. I don't, I don't understand him, but I don't hate him. Story after story, example after example, we're going to look, and many of us are going to see ourselves in the story. You're going to sit in this room if you dare to come back, and you're going to sit in here and go, that's me. That's my story. That happened to me. I don't ever want to do that, or I don't ever want to do that again. And the question in our heads is going to be, well, what should I do? And it'll come down to the presence of or the absence of 
a couple things in your life. Do I have what I need to be a man or, or a woman I was meant to be? And if I don't, then what needs to change? And the answer will be, you've got to grow a pair of something. Now, two things, I'm going to wrap this up. All right, you can get out here a little bit early. Don't get used to it. Just make up for three weeks ago when I went an hour. Okay, so, all right? And there's a football game on. So uh, that's this, all right? <laughs> Two things, I'm going to wrap this up. Some of you are sitting here going, I, all right, I see what you're saying and everything, but Jim, just be honest. This is a little crude and, and a little nasty and you're kind of immature, which is true, but um, I don't think we should be talking about this in church. Well, I disagree with you. But more importantly, a guy named Paul in the Bible, or a big chunk of the Bible, he would disagree with you. Because he taught a series kind of like this one time. That's a stretch, but go with it, all right? Meaning this, is that one time he was, he was uh, like visiting this church and these religious people were telling all the men in the church that they couldn't be real men of God unless they had surgery. Literally, all right? They mean, say, listen, you can't you really follow God unless you have these physical things going on in your life. One of which, by the way, is you have to be circumcised. Otherwise, God really can't use you in your life. And all these men are going, but I thought we were saved by grace through faith. No, 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 no. You got to do, you got physically, you got to have these attributes in, in your life. And Paul, and by the way, if you don't know what circumcised is, you shouldn't be in the room or... You should call your doctor, all right? So there you go. But, but Paul's listening to them teach that it's Jesus, plus then you've got to be like this as a man. And, and he, he goes off. I mean, and some of you, well, that's kind of crude. Absolutely. This is why I love him. Here, here's, here's what he says. Look at this. He says, I want, I want to talk to the men. He's, he's talking to men really right here. He goes, for in Christ Jesus, I don't know how the rest of the world works, but let me tell you, in this room, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. It doesn't even matter. Whatever physical has gone on in your life or hasn't gone on in your life, it's irrelevant. It has no value. He says this, the only thing that counts, the only thing God's really keeping score of is faith. And we've been, a year we've been talking about faith. What is faith? This is who I think God is and I put my life beside him and this is who I am. That's what counts, expressing itself through love. In other words, the, 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 being the person that God wants you to be has nothing to do with what's going on in your life or what's happened to you on the outside. It's what you're willing to let God do through your life in spite of the circumstances of your life from this point on. But he's not done. He's like, they're not getting it. So he just says, let me tell you what I really think about it. Skip down to verse 12. He says this, as for those agitators, as for those guys out there saying, no, this is what a man is. I don't care what God says. This is what a man is. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. This is awesome. What he's saying is, listen, all right, don't stop at circumcision. Just I don't know how to say this. <laughs> Cut everything off. And then maybe people would go, oh, this is a bad idea. Yeah, it's a bad idea. <laughs> all right? It's, it is a bad idea, by the way. All right? So he said, well, that's, that's crude. I'm kind of embarrassed. My kids are here or whatever. Right? He made his point. Having these kind of definitions of a man is as ridiculous as that. God says it this way. One time they're trying to pick out a king for the country, all right? And so they're all, everybody's looking around going, well, that guy's big and strong. And that guy, he's like a, he was in the army and he killed a bunch of people. And that guy's, a, a, you know, he's rich. And that guy's got a good business going, stuff like that. And I bet that guy could be the lead of our country. And, and, and God rejects all of them. He actually he picks out this little skinny redhead poet, shepherd out in the field and goes, I want David to be king, all right? Everybody's going, that's a bad idea, God. Don't ever tell God that's a bad idea. He's God, all right? But anyway, all right? So here's how God responds to this. He says, don't consider his height or his appearance or his height. That's the big guy over there that everything should be king or boss. For I've rejected him. See, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. He has a different standard. Here's our standard. Man looks at the outward appearance, don't we? The first thing we judge people by is what they have, what they've done, right? I mean, that's what we do, you know? 
That's not what God... That's, he doesn't, God doesn't care about that, the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the what? At the heart. Again, the purpose of the series is going to be, what is it that God's looking for in a man or woman? What's God looking for in my life? Not on the outside, but on the inside that really matters. And the question is, do I have what really matters in my life? And if I don't, how can I get it? So that's why we're going to do this series. But here's the other thing. Here's, here's why I want to do this. Because I, I have kicked this around in my head for, for a long, long, long time. And some events over the last couple of weeks have just kind of moved this, this series and this topic kind of to the forefront. Let me tell you why this is important to me. A few years ago, uh, I think it was about seven years ago, I was living back in Lexington, Kentucky, and my, my dad, um, he was 70 years old, and he had eye surgery and couldn't drive, so I went and picked up my dad, and then we went to uh, a restaurant, and we sat down, and uh, I don't know why I said it, but I looked across the table at my dad, it's just the two of us, and you know, we're doing that normal, so did you watch the Weather Channel, that, that stuff, we do, you know, right, so, um, so I, we're talking about stuff, and I, I don't, again, I don't know why I said it, I've never said this to him before, and I said, hey, I said, you know, I don't know anything about how you grew up. I said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, much about your side of the family, how you grew up, what life was like when you were a kid. My dad's a pastor. You know, he was until he retired several years ago. But I don't even know how you became a Christian. It's like there's this big blank space for all the time before my mom. I never really thought about it. But, you know, growing up, we never went to my dad's family for reunions or holidays or something like that. I, I couldn't tell you all my dad's brothers and sisters' names, let alone my cousins' names. And so I asked him, would you just tell me your story? And I think, I think we shut it down. We're sitting in Cheddar's Restaurant in Lexington, and he starts pouring out all these stories of growing up. And my, my jaw is on the table. He's telling me stuff I never knew because we didn't speak about it. My dad's retired now, and he lives back on... Uh, we have a family farm back in Indiana that he took over after my grandparents died. And now, now my dad mows. My dad mows grass. That's what he does. Like 25 acres of grass. And, uh, and he does that, and then he, he keeps up with the Indianapolis Colts on the computer. He loves Peyton Manning. It's kind of creepy how much he loves him, but that's... You can Facebook him and be friends, all right? So, uh... but, but, but so we were talking, and he said, yeah, I just am bored. So I had this idea. Last week, my, my, my parents were out here for my son's wedding, all right? And so last Tuesday, I was driving my parents back to the airport. And again, I don't know why I say this stuff, but I... I said, hey, Dad, I, could I, I want to ask you to do something for me. Will you do me a favor? And he said, well, what's that? I said, hey, you remember a few years ago back in Lexington? We were sitting in that restaurant, and I asked you about your childhood, and you told me all those stories about how you'd grown up. Remember that? And he said, no. <laughs> it meant a lot to you, yeah. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, you remember telling me like that one story about when you were like 13 years old, and and, and you lived on that farm, and, and you couldn't afford a tractor, so you had a, two horses and a plow. Remember that? And you were out there in the thunderstorm, and the lightning hit, and the horses took off, and, and, and everything got tangled up, and, and Grandpa was trying to untangle it, and he was beating the horse, and then he turned and he started cussing you out and beating you. Do, do you remember that? And he said, well, I remember the beating, but I don't, I don't remember telling you that. And he started telling me from I-25 all the way out to the airport, he started telling me the story of that day. He remembered every detail of what happened. And for about 10 or 15 minutes, I, w- I was no longer sitting beside my dad. I was sitting by a skinny little 13-year-old reliving one of the worst moments of his life. I was probably in seventh grade, somewhere along there. And uh, 
So we were down there, and he was beating on the horses and uh, to get his feet under it so it could get out of the ravine, and he finally it got turned over to where it could. It wasn't hurt or anything. But then after he quit beating on the horse, he turned to me and started beating me with the, with the horse reins. Like, it was all my fault. And all I tried to do is go out and help the old guy you know, un unhook the horses. And uh, uh, he gave me up working over down there where nobody ever saw what he did. But uh, it's just one of those things that is with me and it comes back. And uh, so then we started on up the lane and then I went in on the house, on into the house. And, and as soon as I got in the house, I just stalked upstairs. I didn't want to talk to anyone. And so I stayed up there for oh, probably several hours. And then my mother called up and she said, uh, uh, Charles, um, supper's ready. You better, you better come down and eat. And I said to my mother, <laughs> I don't care if I never eat another meal in this house. And I thought, oh, he's going to come upstairs and kill me this time, you know. But I think he knew, I think he knew he had gone too far and that I would have probably killed him if I could have. And uh, we have a family reunion every year and I have a brother Jack and Jack is probably my favorite. But Jack has never been known for his uh, finesse. <laughs> and so anyway, we were sitting around the table and Jack said, Oh, I remember when Dad gave you a working over, and uh, all the conversation just stopped because everybody knew that I've, I've, I've had troubles adjusting to my family ever since then, you know. And it all came back to me with Storm and him beating me with horse reins and everything. And I said, Jack, I want to tell you something. That night, if I could have gotten a gun, you would have been without a father. Not I would have been without a father, but you'd been without a father because I'd already kind of denounced him as, as, as my father. You know, it still comes back to you. Um, I remember one time we went back and I, uh, I, I, I always felt my ministry was handicapped in that I would tell others that they had to forgive their enemies and so forth. And yet, I, I, I could never forgive my dad. So after my dad told me that story, I asked him, I said, well, when you get home, here's my favorite. Will you write that down? He said, why? Why do I want to write that down? And I said, because it's your story, and I don't want to lose it. He said, why would you ever want to remember that story? And he, I said, because it's a story of redemption. I said, Dad, it's a flat iron story. It's a story about how God can take someone, no matter what kind of story or past they might have had, and use it for great things, like God's used you for great things. And then he said it. He said, I've never done anything great with my life. 
The only good thing to come out of my life is you and your sister. And I said, Dad, the only reason I'm a good pastor is because you were a good pastor. And he said, I, I wasn't a good pastor. I was a hypocrite. I'd stand up there and tell people they had to forgive people who hurt him, and I've never been able to forgive my dad for what he did to me and my family. And then I realized, it clicked, that my 77-year-old dad is still wrestling with and being defined by something that happened to him 64 years ago. And I said, that's what made you a great pastor. Because you can look out at people and say, yeah, me too. This is what God wants us to do. I don't do it very well. Yeah, me too. He's a great pastor, by the way. So next week, I want to look. I want to look at more of this guy named Joseph, and another guy named Chuck. That I just call my dad. And that's the tip of the iceberg. And all these stories we're going to look at, we're going to see some guys that even though they love God, some days they did it well, and sometimes they messed it up, but they never stopped trying. And my hope is that we'll all be able to walk out here and say, "Yeah, me too. I haven't stopped trying." And in these two series, over the next few weeks, I, I think a lot of us are going to see our story. Because I do. Now try not to cry. I'll, I'll grow a pair. <laughs> Let's pray. So God, I, I'm going to ask you for some things. The first thing I'm going to ask is uh, protection over this church. And all the, the men are going to have the courage to come back in here and face their demons. And all the women are going to come in here and say, I've got I to gotta deal with some stuff in my, in my past. And all the kids in this room, they're going to come in here and go, my life's not fair. This is not what I wanted my life to be. And we're going to walk down some roads that a lot of us feel like, I don't want to think about that. I don't, definitely don't want to deal with it. I want to push it down and act like it doesn't matter. But it matters. It matters because it's changed us. And not, for the, not always for the better. And God, the scariest thing sometimes is to look into a mirror and see that, man or woman looking back at us we don't really like them and then to look in the mirror and see behind us everything that happened that got us to this place and we cannot change our past but from this point on God we just want a better life something different we need some things to heal up in our life and I'm not going to condescend and tell everybody they got to forgive everybody that's ruined their life that's between you and them that might take the rest of our life if it happens but I love this song that we're going to sing. God, it's, the, it's a song that says that you, you always were, you are, and you always will be. Meaning, God, when I think about the lyrics of this song, you were with my dad in a ditch in Nebraska when he's getting the crap beat out of him. And you were there. He didn't know it, but you were there. And you were with every other man in this room and woman as they were in their ditch. And you're with us today. And God, it's, it's a scary world where you have to get up out of this room and go face. It's, this is a world where things burn to the ground and people shoot each other and stop loving one another. And it's scary. We, we don't want to walk into that world unless we know that you're with us. And so, God, will you go with us and heal up the parts of our hearts that we have not been able to heal on our own? And God, I pray. I pray my dad listens to this online. And knows that he's still a great man and a great pastor and making a difference. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>